0: Hello Cult Hackers and welcome to the podcast. I'm Celine, a media graduate with an interest in cults.
1: And I'm Stephen, her dad. I'm an organisational psychologist, was a member of a cult for about 30 years really. Also interested in cults for obvious reasons. Uh, So we're very happy to welcome today, Susan Dones. Welcome, Susan.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: So Susan, um, you were a member of a group that I think a lot of people have heard of, um, Nexium um, and we've wanted to talk to somebody that's experienced that group for quite some time. So how did you end up, um, being associated with this group?
2: Yeah, gosh, it's really interesting because, um, I, you know, I I think everybody, unless they were born in kind of thinks that they would never get involved in a cult, you know, and, um, I had my psychology degree and I had a practice and I also have a, uh, uh, license in uh, massage and so I, I did a lot of injury work you know people have been in car accidents and things like that with my massage degree and then I also worked on a lot of people had um, uh, physical trauma and so uh, in my practice I had you know people who were sexually abused you know had, uh victims of rape and you know um you know, were physically abused as children and stuff like that. So a lot of times in, in my practice, I, I I did dual therapy. You know, because a lot of times uh, people um, who are uh, physically abused or emotionally abused trap those feelings in their body. Hmm. And so um, m- when we got to a certain area of trust, you know, I would say, hey, you know, like, how about if we did some body work and did therapy at the same time? So I had a combined practice. And stuff like that.
1: <clears throat>
2: and then, what I started to realize is this: is that you know you can do a one-on-one session with people, but in group therapy, you can affect a lot of people at at, at the same time. And so, what I w- was on was kind of a quest to find a program that was already invented that um, that had you know, some qualifications behind it. So I was kind of on a hunt for that. Mm -hmm. And so I had met this woman who had a program back in Detroit, Michigan, and it was called Life Skills. And um, it seemed like I had a a lot going for it and stuff like that. And so I've talked about this in other podcasts, so I'll I'll make it short and sweet. And so I'd gone back to her program in Detroit, Michigan for a three-day Weekend, and I was thinking of bringing her to the Pacific Northwest, and then maybe studying with her. And while I was back there, I was back there with two of my friends. She kept talking about this program in Albany, New York, that was very new, and um that she was actually. When I went back there, she was. She said, "I'm shutting down my program, and I'm going to go to Albany, New York, and study with this guy, Keith ranieri <laughs> And I'm looking at my friends and going, "Like what?" You know, like this woman has this very successful program. And she kept saying, you know, she talked about that incessantly over the weekend. And so they had these conference calls, you know, it was called executive success programs back then. It wasn't called Mm Nexium. And so, um, but it was very expensive and I had never spent that much to go to a program, you know, but over the time, you know, I kept thinking like, gosh, if I don't go to this program, I'm going to miss out. And so I did go and I stayed for all 16 days. And that was kind of the hook into that and then they had this thing where a group of us that went they were talking about opening satellite centers you know and that intrigued me you know like well wow this is something i can add to my toolbox of what i already do mm. kind of thing and so and, and there was nothing culty about it all they had was a 16-day program and um you showed up and people were in business suits you know that it didn't look anything like a cult mm. yeah yeah <laughs> And back at that time, I, I think it wasn't until the Brofman's uh, the Clarence Sarah Brofman came in and they had a buttload of money that things really started to shift, okay. you know, and so um and they kept Keith Ranieri away from people a lot. He very rarely ever came in. And so it was like, you know, had the, this executive success program kind of thing happening. But over here. There was behind behind the curtain, you know, of the Wizard of Oz kind of thing. There was all this stuff happening with within the inner circle thing. Mm -hmm. And so I would get glimpses of it every once in a while. And I kept asking Nancy Salzman, you know, is he sleeping with these people, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And she said, well, we don't talk about that. You know, she didn't (laughs) deny it. She right. just said, we don't talk about that, mm. you know? And then I found out that he lost $64 million of the Brofman's money in the commodities market. And I blew a gasket, you know, like, why is he borrowing money from, you know, students, you know, why mm. is he sleeping with students and stuff like that? Because to so me, those were, un- there, you know, well, and especially going through graduate school, those were unethical things. You know, you didn't sleep with your patients. You didn't sleep, you know, you didn't borrow money from your patients, those kinds of things and even though you know we didn't have patients in in our program we had students you know and i worked at a college for 5 years and you know you, you didn't you didn't do those things with your students you know kind mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. and so it was just like oh my god you know i'm in this organization that you know all this unethical shit's happening but it wasn't until i found out about criminal activity that it was kind of like i can't be in this i can't be in this thing anymore and so oh, it was just like, you know, um, that's when I found out about they were um, all the Mexicans paid in cash mostly. Uh-huh. And um, they were bringing the cash across the border. And Nancy Salzman told me they were going to pay um, taxes on it. You know, and I'm like, cool. yeah, you're starting it's to tax it's evasion <laughs> and money laundering. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> alarm
1: bells going off at that point, I suppose. Um, so you were you were running a, a satellite center yourself. Um, yeah and this this other stuff was going on at um at the headquarters but obviously right, you, back in you, right mm-hmm. you'd get some some knowledge of what was happening So you were really engrossed in the actual methods and techniques and that's what you were really interested in. Mm-hmm. yeah
0: all
2: I taught was the first 16 day stuff oh, I didn't get yeah, into okay. the yeah I didn't get into the advanced courses and mm-hmm. stuff like that
0: so how long sort of period was that so obviously you've just given us like the condensed yeah. version so how uh, long yeah, yeah I went in that?
2: 2000 I was in the second the very second 16 day class they ever taught and then um, prior to that, from 1998, when they first started up, up to 2000, they just had like evening kind of classes. Mm-hmm. And then they started their intensive program. So I went to their very second intensive program. And then um, I left in April of 2009. So I left far, but long before, you know, all the, uh, the, um, the, the, they had just started Jeunesse, which was the all women program. I went mm. to a weekend workshop of it, which was very misogynistic. You know, women had to be monogamous to protect their children, but men didn't have to. They weren't hardwired that way. And I'm like, What? what is <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what? laying
0: some groundwork? Yeah, laying there. the groundwork.
2: <laughs> and then after that, they came out with Society Protectors, which I heard was horribly um, brutal to women. You know, so it was, was kind script. of all... Yeah, yeah, it was kind of all set up to to lower women's self esteem and beat the shit out of them. Janess was, and then SOP was even worse. You know, it's just like caveman shit. You know, is what I called mm-hmm. it. And then, um, and then when DOS came around, it was like, hey, do you want to be a badass bitch? You know, and all women are like hungry to be a badass. You know, kind of <laughs> thing. You know, and it was the perfect setup. You know, and, and Keith was like a chess master. You know, I mean, he really was a chess master from, mm. you know, and so the thing is, is like he was chess moves ahead of everybody else in regards to, you know, women are hungry to, to be a badass and like, oh, you, you need to give us some collateral. It's like, yeah, where do I sign, <laughs> you know, kind of thing, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so, there's so much there that we need to uh, that we need to pick apart, Susan. Um, right, okay, so... Before we get onto the the DOS thing, because I think that's the that's the bit when it, it's kind of um, undeniably a cult, isn't it? In a way, um, I, I suppose there's other things as well, but but that is perhaps right, yeah. the most obvious example. But I, I mean, as as somebody that has spent a long time, a lot of my career in the training room, so I'm a leadership development trainer, and mm-hmm. um, watching the so we see a, a clip of you in the first um series of the vow, and mm-hmm. um, you're you're doing some work there in front of the group, and there's lots of little clips of trainers, coaches, whatever, um doing these sessions, these workshops. And it, it just feels so familiar to me. It just feels like I would not be afraid of any of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking at the the website that they show you on the on the the documentary with all the different facets of the things they do. I could easily see myself being very interested in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that there was, there was a part of what was going on there that was really useful Mm -hmm. and there was this narcissistic um, creature behind it that was just using that as a way to, to get what he wanted or was this actually all the plan? Was was this the chess game that he was playing? You know, was there something good in it or was it all evil? I, you know, I'd like your thoughts on that, really.
2: Yeah. Well, it couldn't have been all evil because there were a lot of really good people in it, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And, and you know, everybody's satellite center was their own, own kind of business kind of thing. Right. And the thing is, is that, you know, like I had a – like when I left, I, I just – put out a, a constant contact thing and saying, you know, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm shutting down my center. And a lot of people didn't even question, you know, like why, why is Susan Dones leaving? They just left when I left and the people that were really close to me, I, I contacted and I told them exactly what was going on that I had discovered, you know, and and they left. And then um, some people called me and I didn't return their calls because they were really close to, they were really close to people in Albany and I just felt like um, to return their phone calls was not in my best interest, but still today, you know, that I'm in contact with say, you know, I'm really glad I came to your center because I got, I got some really good tools. Mm. And so, you know, it's kind of like, and I use this analogy, it's kind of like the knife in the hand of a surgeon can be very healing, but the knife in the hand of a psychopath is is dangerous you know so the thing is is that you know self-help in self-help is everywhere you know and and um it can be used for really good but it can also be used to manipulate the hell out of people and so you know in i think that um even i think nancy salzman when she first started taking you know started up with keith i think her intentions were really good but I think that she got into a dark place, you know, and she abused the shit out of people. I mean, she was my number one abuser. And to mm-hmm. up to this day, she's only apologized to her daughter, you know, uh, Lauren for getting um, her involved. And I was at her sentencing and there were several people at her sentencing and she could apologize to all of us. It wouldn't have yeah. done any harm. The judge had already made up his mind how many years he was going to sentence her to. Mm. And then the vow too was very difficult for me to watch because she was the number one abuser to so many people. And she just sat there the entire time and denied her participation in that, you know, and she was an adult when she got involved. I mean, it wasn't like she was 23, yeah, and so it's, um yeah, it, it's
0: yeah. interesting
1: Susan. Um Celine texted me, didn't you? Um as we I was we, giving we were you like
0: them. the running commentary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: um so yeah. What, what what did you say to me about about Nancy?
0: I just I think did I text you and I was like, do you yeah. believe her effectively? Yeah. I started with that um because um, so... I I was feeling uncomfortable. It was just um it made me feel uncomfortable and I think you knowed it on the head of saying it feels uncanny valley like it did it felt like a performance um like because you're cutting between her actually you know doing delivering the training or, or quotations um with whatever she's doing in the moment um she's obviously on you know what I mean she's turned it on and it then when you cut to her in the interviews I'm like it still kind of feels like that but it's it's I don't know um and obviously she does go through a journey on Mm -hmm. on the show um I think there are elements that are probably true when she you know I'm sure she there are you know she's with her mum and she's sad I'm sure those are things that she's really feeling um but it just felt uh, (laughs) it felt like an itch you can't itch you know I mean it felt very uncomfortable
2: um yeah yeah, her mom yeah. went through, um, when I went back to repeat the intensive, because I, I wanted to open a center and move up up the ranks to, you know, qualify for that. Mm-hmm. Her mom came to my second intensive and went through the second intensive and her, her mom and I actually got along really well, mm-hmm. but you could tell her mom hated Keith Ranieri. Yeah. You know, yeah. just hate it. And her mom actually left early. I think mm-hmm. her mom and Nancy got into a little, little scuffle about the, you know, the whole mm-hmm. Keith. And at, at that time, I think Lauren was starting to have an affair, you know, sexual relationship with Keith and um, uh, you know, and then she came back again another time and didn't stay very long. And you could just, it, it, I mean, and, and when Nancy when her mom tells Nancy, I knew I was right about that man. <laughs> you know, I was just like, yes. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think,
0: yeah, yeah, because when she's um yeah, And she's like, No, you weren't right, and she's like, Oh, I can say it now. <laughs> There's some yeah. undisclosed conversations there. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, it's oh, it's God. a real case of dancing with the devil, isn't it? Um, mm. you know, I, I guess mm. for her and and there's also this um you talked about collateral so we definitely want to get there um but it feels like I mean we, we've talked about this in terms of lots of cults that you know you the sunk cost fallacy as they call it the the more you put into it the more effort you put in the more years of service the more money you put into it whatever it is the harder it is to to leave for all sorts of psychological mm. and practical reasons as well um and I suppose for her that that's the the biggest of all collateral, really, is that she's sunk everything that she's ever done, her career, into this she's, thing.
0: She's so desperate for it to mm. not be interrelated, mm-hmm. isn't she? Because um, I think, is it at the end? She's kind of speaking to um, as uh, the the psychologist, and she's saying like, the course was designed to to aid Ranieri's wrongdoings, and she's just. I don't know. It, it looks like it's like the first time. That could be real or something. Do you know what I mean? It's it was, it was that was an interesting scene to watch unfold of her kind of being flatly told that. You know, um. what well, wasn't
1: that that scene though? Um, I think correct me if I'm wrong, Susan, but I think that was filmed when she'd already done the play bargain, but mm. I don't think she'd been sentenced. So she it felt, been sentenced, yeah. 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 It felt like there was a lot of stuff going on there that, you know, she was trying to make sure she didn't go to prison or not for too long. Apparently,
0: yeah. I've heard, I was looking up some bits. Apparently she um, or her team asked for this, uh, her interview not to go out until post sentencing.
2: Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, it yeah, yeah. It hadn't been, it, it wasn't released until after she had been sentenced.
0: Mm-hmm. So cause right. I've, I've seen that be some people's argument to, oh, she's, it, it's not like she's, this is people's opinion, but they're saying she um it wasn't being used to color her sentencing but I mean ultimately, I mean she's still going to want to clear her names It's very bloody water, yeah. isn't it
1: yeah. Can we talk about collateral then because that that's yeah, a very yeah. interesting element of uh this coercive system that that they've got here. so this is a word that has a very special meaning um to you and um, to anybody that's been involved in that group. Uh, so what is collateral?
2: Well, you know, the thing is, is that they try to get collateral on people all along. You know, it's like they tried uh, from the very beginning to get me to not pay my taxes, you know, and and they kept saying that, you know, um, um, taxes are unethical. You know, the the tax structure of the United States is unethical. And like, why do you pay your taxes? And um, I was like, you know, well, you know, like, I think, you know, even though the government might not be above board on everything that they spend their money on. And maybe, yeah, there's a lot of waste in the government, but you know, like I like good roads to drive on and I, you know, I like libraries and, you know, those kinds of things. And the other thing is, is that I was raised to pay my taxes. And like, if I don't pay my taxes, then there's, there's ramifications for not paying your taxes. And so like, I'm going to pay my taxes Mm -hmm. and, but they were constantly hounding me to do that. But the thing is, is that, what I realized after I left is, is that they were just trying to get collateral over me. And then in I, I did an interview with Roberta Glass. I think that was the first interview I ever did. And she does true crime stuff. And um, the way that Keith, the setup in regards to how women were approached to have sexual relationships with Keith is the same setup they did with me. To have a sexual relationship with Nancy, even though Nancy's not a lesbian, you know, but um, the the same approach happened to me in regards uh-huh. to that. In in it was to one is to break up my relationship because they didn't like people to be in relationships. They wanted people to be more dependent on on the cult. Uh-huh. And then two is. That would be a way for them to have collateral over me, You're like oh you had an affair, blah blah blah, that kind of thing, and but it it backfired on them, you know. One, I I don't do that, I don't play around no. yeah. in, in that that kind of thing. But it, I think, really a better word for collateral is really blackmail. That's what it is, isn't it? <laughs>
1: It's what it is I just
2: call it what it is yeah, yeah, yeah. you know kind of thing and then they did all different kinds of things like one time we in one of our intensives they had this um you know we would we'd break up into little groups and in the higher levels and we'd have mentor groups. And stuff like that. And they did this thing where they had secret mentor and it's where you would write your deepest, darkest secret. And you'd put it in this little box in a room, you know, where you'd go in and you'd put it in the box. And after, after I left, I thought, I bet that was filmed. Like they filmed what slot you put that in. And then overnight they probably went in and read, you know, like, Oh, you know, this person's biggest, deepest, darkest secret. And then Then another group would go in and read what your deepest, darkest secret was. And then that group would all decide how to answer your thing. And like, I don't know what people, I did something nebulous because I thought, you know, you know, yeah. Well, one, I don't have any like deep, dark secrets, you know, that, that I don't, you know, kind of thing, but, you know, like, I don't know, let's say somebody raped somebody when they were a teenager you know and they wrote that as their deep dark secret kind of thing you know now they have that blackmail over that person's head if they film that kind of thing like oh we know you're a rapist kind of thing
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's frightening isn't it um so yeah. so they were trying to get you not to pay your taxes so that that would be um something they could they could threaten you with basically going to the authorities and saying mm-hmm. um yeah. By the way, do you know that this um, this person hasn't been paying her taxes, or um, trying to set up some sort of sexual relationship or mm-hmm. advances? Um, yeah. That and and then yeah. That's. Uh, I mean, that's a that's something that Scientology does to a degree, isn't it? So mm-hmm. there's there's uh, similarities there in terms mm-hmm. of getting people's secrets and, um, and finding out and recording them.
2: Yeah. When I left, they, this woman came. She left with us, and she came up with. Came up to me and she had sh- set up a, a shell bank account for one of Nancy's businesses and she said well, I don't know what to do with it. I said go close that account take any money that's in it and take it to the indexium's admin office. I mm-hmm. said what it what like why are why did you do that in the first place? And she said well Nancy said she could only open so many accounts. I said that's not true.
0: No. Yeah <laughs> so what
2: they were doing is having people open shell shell businesses for the, the company you know so that if they were ever you know the IRS or you know whoever came in. These people are left holding this bag, and I, I believe that that was for money laundering purposes. Right. Yeah.
1: Shocking. So again, it's this leverage that there's. Um, I think this is one of the the uh, the common factors of of cultic groups is is a desire to get some leverage over people. Mm-hmm. It's the way they coerce you, isn't it? Um, so this so-called collateral is one way. Um, I think- isolating you is another way, and then then you you're sort of losing all your friends and your social group.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's um, important to like iterate as well that, that, that all of those things are not physical locked doors because <laughs> you know in mm. the actual um, yeah in the uh, dock itself, you know one of the things that the defence attorney brought up was um, when Daniela was locked in a locked in a room, she wasn't physically locked, but um, and all of these things we've already discussed, you, it is being controlled. You may as well be in a locked room, you know, if they've got the right collateral or, you know, if you've mm-hmm. been isolated and you are completely alone, all of these things are effectively mm-hmm. a locked door. Um, so I think he was really trying to push on that. You could have left any time thing. And I think, you know, unfortunately, that is a narrative that still gets told by people. They don't understand, um, mm-hmm. why people stay in it is. That there is a locked door. It's just, yeah. It's a well, series is, of techniques, isn't it? And 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 things they've set up. It doesn't have to be physical.
2: Well, the other thing with Daniela too is that they had taken away all of her papers. They took mm-hmm. away her her, her um, passport, any ID yeah. that she had. They took away her birth certificate and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And even when they did eventually let her go, they took her to the Mexico border and dropped her off without anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no identification, no money, nothing, yeah. you know, and her parents at that time really just kind of had abandoned her so that when she crossed over the border over into Mexico, she had nothing to pr- even prove who she was, no mm-hmm. money, nothing, you know, and oh, God, talk about cruelty, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like uh, I, just, you know, I mean, talk about the ultimate shunning of a group, <laughs> know. you know, yeah
0: at least when I
2: left and I was shunned, you know, I, I had my family and, you know, I had a roof over my head and I had a car I could drive and, you know, yeah, I got sued, you know, but I mean, that's the ultimate shunning that happened to her, you know? Oh my God. I just can't imagine what that, that poor woman has, has gone through.
1: Yeah. That's that narrative. Uh, we we particularly liked the um the defense lawyer. We thought it was a smashing guy. What a lovely, oh, what a lovely yes. fella. Um, this morning
0: my messages, I was just like, I am disgusted, <laughs> just very angry this morning. Um, um
1: yeah, yeah, so the lawyer defending Nexium. Um but that no, that Mark. what was his name? Greg That's yeah. it, yeah. Oh. Um <laughs> That, but that narrative as Celine says it is very common and it is it is used by apologists of of cults as well um mm-hmm. I, I'd like to get your thoughts on that you know the personal responsibility angle people are making choices um we need to treat people as adults and they they have opportunity to make their own choices and decisions what's your what's your sort of response to that?
2: Well, one thing you have to realize about any defense attorney, it's for them, it's a business and they're just, they're just doing their, their job. Their job is to get the, the criminal off kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I I think, especially in the, you know, in the United States, we don't have coercive control laws yet, you know, or, we're working towards that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, you take somebody like Claire Brofman, who is in horribly in prison because, you know, her defense attorneys didn't do anything to get her even evaluated. You know, she was 23 when she came into Nexium ninth grade education in horribly, you know, I know brainwashing isn't a good term, but, you know, Keith and Nancy wanted her, her trust fund is what they wanted. And they, they did their darn best to get to her millions her and her sister but her sister was a little bit older you know and they did their best to just mess with her mind you know they, they um after i left nancy kind of got demoted from her her um position of running the company who did they put in charge of that claire brofman you know, and Claire had no business running a company. She had a ninth grade, and she was a she was an equestrian. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's what she had done. Her, you know, she dropped out of high school out of high school. And um, her parents, mostly her father, agreed to let her drop out of high school and spend her time focusing on becoming an Olympian. You know, that was her goal. She wanted to make it to the Olympian uh, Olympics being a, a a jumper, you know, and that's, I mean, she had the money to do it and blah, blah, blah. Well, he had the money at that time. Um, she didn't come into the, her money until she was 18. But um, so he just supported her in doing that. So she comes into Nexium, and I, I, all Keith and Nancy saw was her money, you know, get, get me the money, you know? <laughs> You know, and so and the same thing with Sarah. But um when everything was said and done, I mean, it was Claire that just opened her checkbook to them. And and so, you know, they used their control strategies to get as much of those girls' money as they could. And so when I mean Sarah finally kind of left and she didn't fully leave, but she left, got married, you know, moved out of the country kind of thing. But Claire just gave them any any money that they wanted. You so know, so as, the
1: argument is that she had free choice. She she made a decision to to spend her money or use her money. This is the argument that the apologists would right. say. So how do we right. how do we
2: combat that? Right. Well, the thing is, is that that um, the brain isn't fully developed until the age twenty five. And the thing is, is that when you have master manipulators that manipulate people you know the thing is is that do they really have free choice the mm-hmm. thing is is that that when you put somebody into a situation that is that manipulates people in the fashion that that yeah. um people that are con artists do they really have free choice well mm-hmm. they they don't yeah. You know, yeah the thing is is that had claire been put into a different a, a nurturing more nurturing situation she wouldn't have made those choices mm-hmm. So the thing is, is that we have we have thousands, probably millions of people that have woken up from cults and and that would disagree with those that have said, you know, well, they had free choice. It's like, no.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm totally I'm totally on your side on that. It's just something we we get, you know, it's something I get um, thrown at me sometimes um on social media and so on you know that people have a choice and they um they they exercise their choice as adults but of course you're diminishing that choice through all the techniques that we've talked about Mm -hmm. including collateral if if you want to use that term blackmail is a is a better um term and um yeah all all the
2: things that i guess we've Mm -hmm. we've already touched on yeah it's like if i have a gun to my head and they say you know you go rob, you know, you go rob the bank and, um, um. well, I think a better example of a better metaphor is, is like, if, if you kidnap my family, you know, and you say you go rob the bank or I'm going to murder your family, then the thing is, is that I'm more likely to go rob the bank, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that, that kind of thing, that's the kind of coercion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the pressure cults and high command high demand groups put you under kind of thing and so you you constantly have this coercion coming at you kind of thing and that's what people who've never been in a situation like that don't understand yeah Yeah. is that that you're constantly under this coercion and influence and people just don't understand that
1: so where does the I, and I don't think it is a line, but but how do you draw the line in terms of responsibility and accountability? It's an area that I think is quite difficult. Um, and I think the show, the vow, both part, particularly series two, I think explores that quite a lot. You know, how do you clearly ranieri, you know, he's the he's the main master manipulator, and that's kind of easy to to be able to identify. But then you've got all these people who have colluded in this process. How do you go about picking that apart? What's your thoughts on that, Susan?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's always the, the difficult thing to discern. I think that, you know, like when people, when people do break the law, they have to be held accountable. I mean, obviously they have to be held accountable. And so, um, you know, and unfortunately that, that does happen. And so the, you know, there has to be some accountability there, but um, hopefully, you know, we'll come to a a point where we realize, you know, what is that accountability? You know, like for me, I would prefer instead of um, especially for like somebody like Claire, I would prefer that she be institutionalized in a, in a place where she can recover from that instead of in a place where, you know, she's not getting any help at all. Mm -hmm that kind yeah. of thing
0: yeah.
2: you know that would be to me um a, an appropriate place for yeah. that you know I mean and then if she's not amenable to to that kind of treatment after a certain amount of time then then yeah then she needs to go to prison for the crimes that yeah. she committed you know, that you know that kind of thing for somebody like Nancy Salzman I mean so many people warned her You know, like, what are you doing with this guy? Kind of thing. She was a lot older and a lot wiser, that kind of thing. You know, personally, I would have liked to seen her get more time, but the denial still runs deep with her. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, Does she need, I I, do I, I I still think she needs some psychological help. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not callous to that, but unfortunately the, um, the American prison systems is, sorely lacking in that kind of psychological help for all criminals you know it's you know <laughs> same <laughs> over here
1: to be honest um i think yeah. we have the, the same problem really we don't spend anything like what we need to on rehabilitation it's all yeah prison works lock them up sort of thing
2: <laughs> mm. yeah yeah so but but unfortunately that's the the way that it goes um yeah, you know, I, I mean with all of our mental health issues, unfortunately, people that have and it's it's mental health awareness month, you know, here. And so it's unfortunate that we, you know, punish people instead of help them.
1: Mm.
2: You know, yeah. and that's the sad thing. You know, <clears throat> maybe if we took better care of our the people that have mental health issues, you know, like over here with gun shootings, you know, in schools and stuff, most of those result because we didn't take care of the the kids that have mental health issues before they like go in you know we can trace back all of the gun shootings to people that have mental health issues to begin with you know like why aren't there why did their parents have guns available for for their kids to get to in the first place you know so so
1: here's a quote um susan um She's an amazing woman, and she totally understands how it all works. So that's what Mark Vicenti says in um, <laughs> in the vow, um, and um, he's particularly talking about how you took on Nexium. They they actually came after you, didn't they? And mm. uh, do you want to tell us a bit about that? I think this is a really heroic story. So tell us how you ended up in court.
2: Yeah, um, and what you did. Yeah. Well, they they um, they sued me, which. Um... I think they were just trying to shut me up for one thing and then but they came into my bankruptcy um case as adversaries. But instead of just saying, you know, oh the student list has value and you have to correct that, they filed um almost I think it was like 200 by the time we did discovery and then they filed a uh, secondary claims against me. It was almost 300 claims. Like they said I tried to extort money out of them and you know that I falsified my bankruptcy and that you know this woman left me money who was an ex-Nexium member in her will which she didn't and all kinds of stuff. Well wow. so, anyway, so let me just
1: let me just interrupt. Yeah. sorry and um, just to help our listeners so um so in a bankruptcy in the states you have to go to the court to essentially say um I have no money, I can't pay my debtors. Um, and mm-hmm. that was that was mainly because of what happened at Nexium, of course, which which yeah. we can get to. But um, you end up in this terrible situation through your your working with Nexium, but then they decide to hop on to the 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 court case, which is essentially your bankruptcy as a um as a hostile witness essentially against you. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. claiming money from your estates which you haven't got because you're you're going bankrupt
2: yeah what they yeah really what they want to do is get my bankruptcy tossed so that i would owe all my debtors wow and so the thing is is that all that debt was nexam debt you know so money that i had borrowed to start the center those kinds of things to take courses, those kinds of stuff. You know, I, I didn't live an extravagant lifestyle, believe me. So I had a house that was way underwater because of the market crash that had happened in the United States. And I had two very used cars. And so, um, so yeah, I, I didn't have an extravagant lifestyle. Mm. And so I was broke. you know, my job was Nexium. you know, I didn't even have a job. So, and so, yeah. And so, I couldn't find an attorney that would take me on pro bono, which means for free. And um, any attorney that I called wanted a a $20,000 retainer, which I didn't have. And knowing Nexium, how letitious they were in lawsuits, they would have blown through that in a week if I would have even had that. So here I am in bankruptcy court standing. You know, my bankruptcy was approved. And then you have like 90 days for any of your debtors to come in and say, wait a minute, we want to question this. And so Nexium came in and said on the final day and the final hour of my bankruptcy being approved, came in and said, we want to we want to be adversaries. And but that was their mode of operation. Anybody else who had ever filed for bankruptcy, Nexium came in and and became adversaries. That was their favorite place to sue people. And so what I had to do was represent myself and be my own attorney. Now I have no, right. no background of being a, an attorney. So I reached out to a couple, um, I reached out to the attorney who represented um, Rick Ross, who was, um, he, he was, he's a, a cult investigator mm-hmm. in the United yeah. States. Yeah. So I reached out to him and I said, gosh, I'm being sued, you know, like, I know you can't represent me, but like, if I need some help, could you like, like help me? And he said, sure, you know, like, I'll give you some help. And then I reached out to this other guy who had been sued by Nexium, and I said the same thing. He said, sure. And then I I took an online course on how to, how to win in court. And so, um, and I had taken that course early on. And then I took a nine month certification through the university of Washington on, on private investigation, you know, because I knew I'd have yeah. to do some investigating and, mm-hmm. and I passed that course to be a private investigator <laughs> <laughs> and stuff. And so, um, cause I knew this was coming. I was warned the day I walked out of Nexium that they were going to sue me. And, and so, um, So I just prepared myself for everything and um, my partner got a job and my sister was a caterer. So when I didn't have to go to court, I would go over and help her chop up food or wash dishes and stuff like that. And I had a small little DJ business. So on the weekends I would try to do weddings and stuff like that to bring in some income because we were broke, you know? And so, um, and so then, you know, I would just, like studied the law as much as I could. And then like, they would, they served me through FedEx. uh, And so like I get these papers and I just cried. and like, I don't know what to do, but I knew I couldn't just like roll over and pee on myself and like, let them win. (laughs) And so, you know, I get these papers and I just like, okay, you got to handle this. And so I just would make some phone calls to these two attorneys and say, you know, like, what, well, like, uh, I'll let, it, and they would be like, okay, this is what you do next. And so I'd like <laughs> type up these papers. And one of the attorneys sent me a legal form, you know, that mm-hmm. they have to, everything has to fit into these columns and stuff yeah. like that. And so I show up to the first day <laughs> to this motion hearing, and the judge, his name was Judge Lynch. <laughs> like oh my god that you know, lynch i got the lynching judge <laughs> and he's like he's looking at the papers and he goes these are very serious charges miss dones and you should consider getting an attorney I'm just like i'm crying you know and i'm saying i can't afford an attorney and i'm in bankruptcy court your honor and i said <laughs> And, I, and judges hate pro se defendants. And I said, you know, I will do my best to represent myself. And I said, these are all lies and this is a cult, you know, and the lies <laughs> are kind of rolling up, you know, because they're throwing around the Brofman name and that they're an international multi, uh-huh. multi-million dollar company and all this stuff. And I said, these are all lies. You know, <laughs> so, I said, it'll take me a little while to educate you that that this is a cult and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, he's like, well, these are, you know, extortion, fraud, and you know that I ruined millions of dollars of their their business, all this stuff. But you know, it's just like, how do you need an elephant one bite at a time? You know, mm-hmm. and so, you know, and then I'd catch him in a lie in court. You know, <laughs> and I would just, you know, say, well, and you know, in this document they said this, and now they're saying this, and he would have his law clerk look it up, and he'd go like well, you're right, Miss Stones, and then he'd ask their attorney about it. You know? mm. <laughs> it like, so I don't know.
0: Is this, but, you know? So this- and then- it's a wild time. This can be a, like a series of its own. <laughs>
1: yeah, it should be dramatized. It needs yeah, to be. Oh,
2: we film. had to go through mediation with a judge up in Seattle, and she was really sweet. You know, she came in with this big stack of papers in her arms, and we got there early, and she lays them on the desk, and she said, I'm just going to keep you guys separated from the plaintiffs. You know? mm-hmm. like, yes, you know? <laughs> so we spent all day going back and forth and they just wanted me to sign a document that I lied about everything I said about Nexium, And I just looked at the judge and I said, I can't do that. No. You know, mm. I said, she wants me to, you know, she wants me to lie about lying. And I said, I'm not mm-hmm. going to do that. I mean, how can I do that? You know, mm. then, then any any other case I'm ever called in to testify about then they're just gonna say that I'm a liar. You know. Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't do that.
1: I guess what what's, what interests me about this is um, and I, I suppose it's the way that the justice system works, but in a way, what they're doing is because through their um their behavior, they're they're exposing what they are and who they are and what they're doing. And it surprises me that it takes another what decade really before. Before they start to become properly exposed, you know, you'd think that during that process, the fact that they failed in all their attempts to get you and that their lies were brought out into the open. Why didn't anybody else say, look, this is something we need to have a look at?
2: Well, that's interesting because there were uh, there was a small group of us that worked due diligently from the time I left after I was sued we worked with, try to get state and federal agencies to go after them. And I think it was in 2010, I get a call from Peter, Peter Skolnick, who was Rick Ross's attorney. He says, look, the AG, the New York state AG wants to talk to you. And I'm like, am I right. in trouble? <laughs> and he said, no, I don't think so. He said, but I want to be on the phone with you, you know? And I'm like, okay. So they wanted information about Nexium. And mm. so the, the AG talked to me and, and two other people and I had to go to my judge cause I was still in a legal case with them. And I had to go to my, I said, you need to send me a subpoena. I can't give you anything. Cause you know, like I'm, you know, right. uh, you know, cause I still had some of their materials, but they were being assholes about me turning it over, um. but saying you won't turn it over, but they were, <laughs> were being assholes about me giving it back to them. And so the AG wanted their, some of these materials, but I couldn't, you know, my hands were cuffed about giving it over to them. So they subpoenaed me. And then I took the subpoena to the, my judge's law clerk. And I said, you know, I'm being subpoenaed. And like, you've told me not to give this to anybody, but now I'm being subpoenaed. So the judge gave me permission to send this information off to the AG. And they were looking at Nexium as a pyramid scheme you know and so and then they were we turned over all this information that they asked us to turn it over and then finally they said okay don't send us anymore and we thought yes we have them Mm. you know Mm. and then nothing happened and then we thought oh well like what the hell is going on you know and then and this was in like 2010 2011 2012 Mm. time frame and then we're thinking like god that's never had to happen you know yeah. pyramid scheme money laundering you know i told him all about the money laundering how the money was coming into the united states where where i believed the money was being stored all of that stuff you know from uh, stuff the, nancy salzman had told me and the pyramid scheme was was
1: particularly serious for ranieri because of course he ran a pyramid scheme before he started nexium that mm-hmm. had gone terribly wrong um and he was he was under orders not to start another business like that, wasn't he?
2: Well, yeah. Him and Pam Kafredz, which Pam Kafredz was, she's dead now, but Pam was his number one pimp.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: she's the one who dragged the women into him and stuff like that. And then the th- the thing with all of that is, is that you know maybe he wouldn't have gotten 120 year sentence, but it would have stopped him in in his tracks. And again, it I think that would have woke a lot of people up you know, the pyramid scheme, the, in the money laundering shit, you know, the, that, mm. that, would have, that would have stopped Nancy in her tracks. Mm. And, and the thing is, is that, so DOS never would happen. And when I was at Keith, Keith Raniere sentencing, one of the things the judge said is, why did it take so long for this to come to my courtroom? Yeah you know, and, and I, and I would, you know, you can't, you, you can't, you can't go like, yeah, that's right. You know, in the, in the (laughs) corner. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I I, haven't, I've been saying that since (laughs) I've left that. You know, you can't say that, you know, but uh, you know, inside I'm just going like, I, I agree. Why did it take so long? I I
0: wonder if part of it is because of um, the ages of, the young, you know, the as it got younger as well, it becomes, you know, the argument of as much as we get, we, we disagree um, about anyone being able to leave at any time, you can't say that and everyone knows you can't say that about children or people under 18 or whatever. And um, Camilla, her story, it sounded like a big turning point. And I guess it just becomes completely unarguable of if anyone wants to try and argue choice, you can't at that point because because of her being younger. Um, I, I guess that might have been the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak. As a juror, as well, you can't argue that, and mm-hmm. the defendant's argument of choice completely flies out the window at that point as well. Um, it's just devastating that that has to be how far it goes before it's like you can't refute it. I don't know. It, do you feel like that might be playing into it as well?
2: Well, what? What got the um the DOJ's attention wasn't even Camilla. What finally mm-hmm. got their attention was um was the whole branding and the, yeah. the whole DOS thing. That's what's finally yeah. got there I mm-hmm. mean, they didn't find out about Camilla until later in, on mm-hmm. in their investigation kind of thing. So um Do you want to you tell us the, a bit
1: about that? Um, please, um, Susan. Um obviously I don't think you were involved at that time because you'd you'd left by then, but um mm-hmm. So you don't have personal experience of it, but I'm sure you have a view about what happened. So this is a a women's only group within Nexium. That um,
2: mm-hmm. do you want
1: to tell us what you know about that?
2: Yeah, well, I've learned a lot about it because you know, yeah. I've talked to actually uh, several women who were in DOS, and um, you know, I don't know. I kept, you know, one of the things I kept saying is is that Keith's behaviors is, is that he would do something and then he would get his hit from that kind of like a drug addict, you know, and then he would have to amp up his behavior to get his next hit. Mm. And so my theory was, is that he would eventually do something that would step over the line, you know, to, um, to the point to where the government would eventually step in and say enough, enough with you, young man. And, um, and so the one, you know, in, in, in putting into him, the one thing that was really good about the Nexium case is, is that it set a precedence in the United States for um, the government to now go in. And like, since then they, um, they, there's a um and RB singer, his name's R. Kelly, you yeah. know, and they went in and, and, and filed charges against him and then Larry Ray with um the uh, Sarah Lawrence college situation where they went in and stopped him, you know? And so I think what they've done is they've set a precedence now to go in, and um, shut down similar cult situations, you know, or high demand groups or R. Kelly wasn't necessarily a cult. Um, but he was like a single kind of, you know, sexual abuser kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so now, now it's, um, that that precedent has been set, I think it's going to be easier for them to go in and, and deal with sexual predators, whether it's a cult or, you know, one-on-one kind of situation. So that's the good news. Now it's like pressing for more um, coercive control laws, yeah. where where people can be taken care of um, easier. And if we can get that law, the law in regards to coercive control passed, that that'll yeah that'll be better for us. So in
1: the UK we have coercive control laws, but only within a intimate relationship setting. So the the area that we're trying to push for is to extend these laws that so they also include coercive groups, not just coercive partners. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think we're, you know we're we're perhaps a little bit further ahead in the UK because we have the coercive control laws but not in the group setting so that that's the area that we're sort of working on yeah um, but um so yeah the the dos um the the branding was uh was something that was done to women i think um listeners that don't know about that obviously they should watch uh the vow or listen to um perhaps other podcasts that um are made by ex-members so i know there's some uh, the podcast a little bit culty they obviously come from that that um situation so sarah edmondson is is one of the hosts there um so yeah uh, if you want to know more about that i guess as listeners it's, it's worth checking that out what i wanted to do just before we finish um susan is talk about your work because you have a website and you are quite <laughs> active in the support area so what what tell us about your work that you're doing to help people
2: yeah yeah i um yeah, I Have a website, it's just my name, susandones.com. Um, I unfortunately haven't been to my website in quite a long time to update it. Um, I um started working with uh Yanya Lawledge, and mm-hmm. so I've been doing some work um with the Lawledge Center. And so I don't know how many people know that uh Yanya star- has started non she's moved her her group over to um a non non profit kind of thing, and so um. I have been running a support group for her. And then I just do some one-on-one um, uh, work with survivors uh, in regards to that. But my hope is um, with, with, um, with my website is that one of the things that I'm looking at is starting a legal aid kind of program uh, for people. So, um, so that people who can't afford an attorney, I've had some attorneys contact me, some paralegals uh, um, contact me so my hope is is that to start a you know a lot of times when people leave cults they want to become therapists you know and so one of my hopes is is that you know think about the legal field because we need you know we need people in the legal field um, that could um maybe do some pro bono work or some legal work for less Mm -hmm. that kind of thing And then, but have a group where, you know, this course that I took was actually pretty good, but then, um, have, you know, like for me, I had a couple of attorneys that, you know, if I got into a bind with like, I don't understand, you know, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. How do you, you know, but like, you know, sometimes depositions can be a little pricey, that kind of thing. And then set up a nonprofit. Um, I don't necessarily want to manage the nonprofit, but find some Mm -hmm. people that, you know are. honorable people that could run the nonprofit and then have, you know, um, you know, people donate to a nonprofit to where we can help, you know, people that do get into legal issues with cults, because that does happen, especially when you leave is, is that when you get sued by a cult, you can just say, you know, well, F you, you know, (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) fight back, you know, kind of thing, because that's the biggest thing. I mean, Nexium spent $500,000 suing me. You know, because they could, you know, they had the Brofman money, you know, and the thing is, is that they wasted $500,000 suing me because I won, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was just, you know, this is the motion that I need to file, I'm going to file it, you know, um, you know, and it doesn't take that, I mean, took time out of my life because I couldn't work because my job was to Mm-hmm. my job was to become a an attorney but now i'm not you know somebody wants to say well i'm going to sue you i'll go like well go ahead you know <laughs> no, <laughs> go ahead
1: like... <laughs> i mean i think that's really inspirational to be honest I, I can't imagine i would be absolutely terrified i just can't imagine what that feels like to have a, a business coming after you with all that money you know that's just mm-hmm. terrifying but well done
0: it's been really really interesting to talk to you and yeah, yeah a fantastic story of um yeah, beating Nexium at their own game there with um, them coming after you. That's a great story to to hear.
1: Um, it's a it's a movie. Somebody's got to make a they movie
0: have, that. yeah. Think about who you want to play, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Fantastic. Yeah. Well, but, yeah, if people want to hear more of my story, I, I think I have not all of my podcasts on my website, but I try to post them on my website. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Yeah. I just did a, I just did a live stream with another woman. She was in MLM. And so we did like, you know, why are MLMs and pyramid schemes and high demand groups, even legal. Um, so I'll post yeah. that up there too. But it's funny because um, people could ask questions and most of the questions were about Nexium. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, they're just intrigued by it. They are intrigued by it. I think uh, it's hard. We were just saying
1: before we, uh, we came on online um uh, you know, it, it's a small organization in terms of numbers of people, but in terms of the the awareness that that the downfall of Nexium has created, it's been really massive. It's really increased people's understanding to some degree of what's happening. So, you know, that's, um, that's been useful in, in many respects. Um, we've had a, a case, um, recently in the uk which is a, a coaching course so there's lots of similarities uh, not mm-hmm. not all the same but um this group was called lighthouse and it's recently yeah. just um an expose was done on it so yeah there's still lots of these out there um I, I speak to some uh people who have family within some of these groups and it is absolutely heartbreaking so there's still plenty of work to do
2: yeah yeah that's unfortunate you know the coaching industry i don't know how it is in the uk but the coaching industry in the us is not regulated no anybody can hang up a shingle and say hey same. i'm a coach i'm a life coach yeah. you know same, same here. It's, so
1: there's so much abuse that takes place absolutely and it's because it digs it's like religion because it digs into important parts of your your psyche and your soul and your your values and it all it's all part of that so that's why is so um yeah rife i think unfortunately right well thank you so much for joining us today susan it's been absolutely brilliant talking Hello, to thanks us thanks for
2: having me yeah. Thanks, yeah brilliant no
1: it's been great thank you and uh hopefully we get a chance to talk to you again thank you susan <laughs> dopes
2: oh you're so welcome yeah thanks for having me